You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Richard Franzi, and this is episode number 980. How do you build a company that truly matters? In her book, Matter, Move Beyond the Competition, author Julie Williamson goes over the key facts and tactics that top companies have adapted to succeed within their industry. I've asked her to join us today to go over the five ways companies win and how successful companies use disruption to matter and win in the marketplace. If you'd like to learn more about this radio show and podcast or the CEO peer groups that I lead, then visit my website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Or if you know someone who would make a great guest, like I'm sure Julie's going to be, let me know via my phone number, 949-887-4104. Julie Williamson, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show. Thanks, Richard. I'm glad to be here. Let's start simply. Can you tell us a little bit about your professional background, sort of what have you done that have got you to this point in your career, Julie? Sure. You know, my friends like to laugh because they say my background goes everywhere. So I'll try and be brief and just say that I've had this great opportunity to be very technical. I ran development teams for a large systems integrator. I've done some strategy work. I've worked in marketing and in finance. And right now, where I spend my time predominantly is thinking about organizational capabilities and how we unlock the latent potential in leaders and in teams. So I speak a lot of different languages in business, and that's where I really spend my time and and direct my energy at the moment. So why is this area important, and why are you dedicating this phase of your career to studying this, Julie? I think I've seen, uh, you know, over my time, which is 25-plus years now, in a lot of different organizations of all different sizes, large, mid-sized, small, scrappy entrepreneurs who are starting up, I've seen some really consistent ways in which people succeed and don't succeed in really bringing the full value of what they have to offer into the market. And so um, I'm really, I feel very fortunate to be able to do the work that I love doing in a space that, you know, I hope is, I hope matters more for the people that I have the opportunity to work with. So I have here that you have a PhD? I do. What area study? In organizational communication. And what is it about organizational communications that you learned during your doctorate? You know, I did um, my undergraduate degree in information systems. I have a master's and an MBA. And my Ph.D. program, I think, brought me into the social sciences. So I came through this, you know, somewhat circuitously. But I think the thing that I really learned about um, organizations in my Ph.D. program was the way in which people connect and how they work together is as important as anything that um, you might get out of an MBA program that is more focused on a scientific management type of um, deductive reasoning process. So I felt like it opened up a lot of great questions for me about how the world works and how organizations work, and it gave me a lot of theoretical grounding that I wouldn't have had exposure to if I hadn't have decided to go into a social science program. Okay, without getting too technical, what is the title of your thesis? Of my dissertation? Yes. It's about examining expertise and how we, in a complex sales process, 
B2B, um, how we establish markers of expertise. So as you can see, ladies and gentlemen, here on Critical Mass Radio Show, Dr. Julie Williamson knows a bit about what she's going to be talking about and some of the content that's in her latest book, Matter, Move Beyond the Competition. In the open, uh, Julie, I said I was going to ask you to share why, the ways companies win. Could you go over the five ways that your study has revealed and kind of share with the CEOs and business owners that listen to Critical Mass Radio Show what you found about the five ways companies win? Sure, I'll run down uh, the handful quickly, and then maybe um, we can dig in where you where you think it's appropriate. I think the first is really this idea of embracing disruption and getting over the idea of change as an event or transformation as a singular thing that happens, and, or disruption as really being something to survive. Instead, I think it's really incumbent on CEOs and other leaders in the organization to simply choose a different narrative and to tell a different story about disruption as an opportunity and how we thrive through change and start to build that muscle in their organizations because um, too often we're faced with this idea that change is sort of a death march that we're going through. And really, it's going to happen every day, and it's not going to slow down. It's not going away. The world's not getting any slower. And so we may as well figure out um, how how to, how to orient differently towards it. I think the second major thing is to figure out how to offer more value. Competing only on price is just a death spiral of commoditization and eroding quality, too, because you keep pushing the quality down in order to meet the price point. So you have to look at your price point as one part of your value equation, but you can't really shy away from really committing to how do you create more value, how do you look for more opportunities um, with your customers, with your employees, with your communities to create value that other people can't. And, you know, I think one of the great ways we see companies doing that today is when they start to think about platforms. How do they create platforms for their products? Um, I don't know about you, but I got on the Apple platform a long time ago, and even when I see all of these great Samsung products coming out, I just can't even fathom leaving Apple because I don't know how to get off the platform, right? So it's created tremendous stickiness for me. It's also added a lot of value in terms of helping me organize my assets like music. So there's a great example of offering more value. I think third, it's really looking to seek out the right partners. The world is really complicated these days, and it's ever more connected than it has been in the past. And the problems that are most worth solving generally require more than one company, more than one person, more than one team in a large organization. So the right partners are really critical if you want to work on solving problems that matter more for your customers, for your industry, whatever that might look like. And then I think there's this idea of caring about more than profit. And I would say specifically, I would caveat that to say more than short-term profit. So more than ever, I think we have this impact on brand allegiance and trying to build advocates in our communities and in the people um, who are looking at our products. So when you show that you care about more than profit, people feel good about spending money with you. So you can do good and you can do well in business at the same time. And then the last thing I would point out is this absolute imperative to be able to successfully identify those future needs. This is a little bit back to point number one about embracing disruption and moving towards it. But really, it's um, taking the time to maintain an elevated perspective and to look out at the world. 
so often I talk with companies or with leaders and organizations where they say, I just don't have time to read. I don't have time to go to conferences. I don't have time to do all of these things. And I tell them, you know what? You don't have time not to because the time is now. Things are happening. And if you are unaware of them, then you're not going to be able to identify those future needs for your customers. So I think you know, that's something that people have to take very seriously, and they have to figure out how to fit that into already busy days. So thank you for touching on those five, and you're right. I'd like to uh, spend a little bit of time in the second block here on Critical Mass Radio Show talking about uh, kind of as I took notes, you know, I, I, I'm definitely after the break, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk a little bit about embracing disruption because I think many who are listening across the country or if not around the world running medium-sized companies feel this constant need of, either being the disruptor or being disrupted. So uh, we're going to park that for a minute because we're about to take a commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show, but we'll get back to that. I I guess I wanted to ask you, the five methods that you found on how these companies win and successful companies use them to matter in the marketplace, what type of companies did you research in order to uncover these five? We were looking at companies that ranged, I would say, from mid-size to enterprise level. So um, we did canvas some of the largest companies in the world, but we also worked with what I would call a mid-size or niche players. Um, for example, uh, a construction company in the U.S. that really focuses on commercial build-outs or a logistics provider in Canada or a mid-sized credit union in Canada. So that, that's pretty much our span. And do you find, Julie, in your work since you know you, you publish the book and as you speak and travel and educate others, are these five transferable to other businesses? Yes, for sure. You know, these are enduring, I think, components of what it takes to really thrive in today's world and to really understand and look at disruption in a very different way as an opportunity to create more value. Okay, we're going to take, thank you, we're going to take a quick break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. We're going to be back with Dr. Julie Williams, an author of Matter, Move Beyond the Competition. And in the next segment, uh, Julie, I'd like to ask you to tell us a bit more about the use of disruption by these companies you researched and how it might be applicable to the people who listen to the Critical Mass Radio Show and podcast. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back after this brief word about a product or service from me. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I told you we'd be back quickly. I'm your host, Richard Franzi. You know, all of our shows can be heard anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker.com, several hundred former guest websites whose CEOs have appeared on the radio show. Since we started the show in 2009, we've reached hundreds of thousands of listeners through the live stream here on octalkradio.net and the podcast. Simply type in these four words into your favorite podcasting software, 
Critical Mass Radio Show. And like magic, you'll start receiving our weekly shows. All right, I'd like to return to the interview with Dr. Julie Williamson. Julie, we, we said before the break I was going to ask you to tell us a bit more about how the companies in your survey and in your book use disruption to matter and move beyond the competition. Can you share that with our audience, please? Sure, I'd love to do that by means of example, if that's okay. Yes, that's perfect. Yeah, so one of the um, companies that we profiled in the book is Blue Shore Financial, which is a mid-sized, small to mid-sized credit union in Canada. And it's out on the West Coast. It traditionally served, it was founded serving fishermen, longshoremen, um, really an industrial kind of area. And over time, that area started to become more upscale. More and more people were buying retirement homes or second homes there and moving into the area and creating a different demographic. And Blue Shore had a challenge in that they were really accustomed to working with a different type of clientele, and they had to figure out how to um, serve a new type of customer, a new demographic. That was really a disruption that was impacting them significantly. Now, they could have done a couple of things. One, they could have just doubled down on where they were and figured out how to continue in that vein and continue to serve a very specific and targeted demographic. But they chose instead to really take a look at how else they might construct um, coming to a credit union, coming into that kind of an environment, and what it could look like. And they actually ended up redesigning a number of their retail outlets to look like um, what they called financial salons, right? So you're coming in and it's very comfortable. It's like a spa. It's like a spa day to come to the bank or come to the credit union, excuse me, and um, started to really change themselves and disrupt themselves in ways that made them more attractive and, and more consistent with the changing demographic in their area. So looking at that as an opportunity and then starting to really think about um, what they were holding on to, which was their brand and and how they were attractive to a certain demographic and how they might reconstruct that, I think was a great example of how they managed to embrace the disruption that was coming straight at them. They couldn't control that, but they could decide to orient differently to it and figure out how to add value in ways that nobody else was doing at that point in time. So I think that's a really great example of a mid-sized organization that really decided to um, to look at disruption in a very different way. Julie, in your research, did you find that the mid-cap companies versus the enterprise-level companies were, were either classic company better able to handle this element uh, this, of disruption? That's a great question, Richard, because I do think that mid-sized companies actually have such a great opportunity to do things more quickly and more effectively because there aren't as many layers to go through. There aren't um, as many dependencies relative to the brand. So we look at a company like Lakeside Logistics, which was a shipping company that was scrapping for $50 lanes on a regular basis, and they decided to reinvent themselves as an outsourced provider of logistic services, logistical management, and they ended up landing customers like Pepsi. So you see a mid-sized company being able to do that where you know a company like UPS would have a more challenging time making that kind of a pivot because of all of the dependencies that they have on their brand. So I think um, mid-sized companies are actually in a really exciting place to think differently about disruption. I love it when guests on the radio show, because the audience for Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast 
tend to be CEOs and business owners running companies with about $100 million in revenue and smaller. And and mm-hmm. when we can talk about a comparative advantage that they have over their larger competitors, I like to give them that confidence that – and your research suggests that these companies can respond, especially to something like disruption, which isn't just technological disruption, right? It, it sounds like in your example it's more than technology. Absolutely. It can be demographic. It can be changing consumer preferences. Um, it can be technology. Obviously, we hear a lot about digitization and, and that type of change. It can also be regulatory. It can be about the global economy and currency fluctuations. And disruption is happening in all areas of your business, not just in whether or not um, someone's doing something clever with an app that might change your world. Like, that's a big problem for some people or a big challenge for some people, but gosh, disruption happens everywhere. So you dedicated a significant portion of your life to write your latest book, right? It, it, my, my assumption is, as a, as a fellow author, these things take time. They do take time, yes. To get the final product, matter, move beyond the competition, actually out, published for sale. Was there something that you learned that uh, about the subject matter that kind of surprised you or that was a, an aha that you weren't expecting when you started this project to develop and write the book? I think one thing that really stood out to both Peter and me, and it was striking, and when I say it, it will sound simple, as these things do, but it was, I think, a powerful moment, is the importance of optimism. And being optimistic about your business, about your products and services, and about your capabilities is really a critical feature of organizations and leadership teams that are able to really thrive in disruption. And I I don't confuse optimism, by the way, with delusion, right? It's not about deluding yourself into thinking that everything's going to be okay and nothing's ever going to change. This is an optimism that says we're really strong and smart and we're capable and we know how to bring products to market and we know how to work with our customers. We know how to be good members of the community. And so we can thrive in anything that the world throws at us. And having that confidence and that optimism, I think, is so critical to being able to really be effective in the face of disruption. So is that that's a great point. Thank you, uh, Julie. I'd, I'd like to ask our engineer, if he can, to ring the gong, which are our uh, audience, loyal audience knows is a teachable moment. Anytime they hear the gong on the program, that means that pay attention. That optimism, is that optimism by the leadership or is that organizational optimism? How deep does that optimism need to go in a company to be kind of a differentiator? I think it starts at the top. And that might not be the most politically correct thing to say in a world where we're, we always want to make sure that employees feel engaged and enabled. That's very important, too, by the way. But I think that um, absolutely if the leaders of the company are not optimistic about what's happening, then you know that trickles down very, very quickly. So especially in mid-sized companies that aren't, um, you know, as the, just from a sheer numbers perspective, not as large as some of the enterprise organizations, I think it's very easy to detect if the leaders have lost faith. And so it's incredibly important to do a gut check if you're a leader in an organization like that and say, am I truly authentically still optimistic about what we're doing and how am I expressing that? How am I bringing that to my people? Because that is so critical, especially as you're looking at disruptions that are happening throughout your business. You know, I think um, you talk about optimism, and I've seen research that suggests that companies that have a certain resiliency are able to make better decisions and outperform their competition. And I almost think those two have to go hand in hand. 
I completely agree. I think that optimism fuels resiliency. And resiliency isn't about, um, you know, the definition of resilience is being able to go back to what you were before. And I always tell people organizational resilience is about being able to stay productive in the midst of turmoil, right? So as things are changing and as you're maybe growing painfully or taking some different turns, that you're, you have the resilience to see your way through it because you know that you're capable of doing that. So if, this has been great. I've really enjoyed you being on our program. You've given wonderful content that I'll be telling my community about as we turn it into a podcast and make it available on iTunes and Stitcher tomorrow for people to be able to re-listen to this interview. If someone would like to learn more about you and the book, Matter, Move Beyond the Competition, Dr. Julie Williamson, how do they find you and how do they find your book? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, we are at karikinsgroup.com. Uh, I'll spell that for you really quickly, K-A-R-R-I-K-I-N-S group.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. would love to hear from anybody who's interested in touching base, Julie Williamson, um, and also a Chief Growth Enabler at Karikins Group. And the book is available on Amazon. Obviously, a very good platform for people who buy books, and many that listen to our show are lifelong learners, and they are also avid readers. Dr. Julie Williamson, I need to thank you for the generous time you've given us here on the program today to share a bit about what the content of matter, move beyond the competition, is. So I want to thank you for being a friend of the program and to warmly welcome you into the critical mass community of lifelong learners. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for your time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to let you know that I need to also thank our engineer, Mr. Paul Roberts. Our producers are Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and Haley Stern. I'm your host, Richard Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about this radio show and podcast or the CEO peer groups that I lead, then please visit my company's website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. And until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 